and sales training, 85 to 90% of it is no longer effective after 90 days. So reinforcement is really the name of the game. It's not what you teach, it's how do you enable frontline leaders to then reinforce it? That's where the magic is. So that's another area that I really focus on is, hey, let's not spend your entire training budget on the reps. What are we doing for the frontline leaders? Because they're gonna be around longer typically in seat. And what are they doing to reinforce coach and make sure that this stuff is actually happening and do they have the chops to do it themselves? This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast. Here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, then this show is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman coming to you from the Gong Studios. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Welcome back to the Gong Studios. Danny the Rev Wasserman coming to you for what is a really soothing episode this week. Yes, in the house, we have someone who you've probably come across on the interweb, specifically what he's pumping out consistently across LinkedIn. We've got Jason Bay, owner of Jason Bay Consulting, also founder and CEO of the Outbound Squad. And what he's doing is running one of the most successful sales consultancies out there for tech and B2B sales. Although, obviously, he's reaching audiences far broader than that. What is Jason's secret? Simplifying those sales fundamentals without the need to pursue or chase after supposedly revolutionary tactics. No, he's staying with simplifying. He operates under the power of not overcomplicating things. And that's really hard to do when you're being ripped in a thousand directions and tempted by so many other different competing theories, frequencies, authoritative experts, and so forth. No, he just wants you to stick to those fundamentals. What I love so much is that really in sales, Jason cut his teeth in the summers as a college kid, painting houses and selling painting services. What's so remarkable is that a lot of those lessons have been everlasting as he continues to push the boundaries with his own consultancy. He'll tell you that words matter. And depending upon how they make the recipient feel, well, small tweaks in just a few words can make all the difference. I've said too much, so it's time for you to get a better sense of who Jason Bay is. DJ, spin that. Ladies and gents of the Reveal listenership, coming to you for another weekly episode. This guest in the Gong Studios today boasting over 65,000 followers on LinkedIn. And not that we are measuring this guest purely by the numbers of eyeballs that tune in and drip over his every last word on those sales fundamentals that are going to get you to the next level in your career or to that next point in quote attainment. Well, beyond simply being one of the thought leaders in sales training and enablement, someone who I consider a peer and I look to for counsel and advice constantly, here's a guy that for years actually carried the bag And did it in an industry that is not terribly sexy, that is not terribly glamorous, but in fact earned his stripes for years as a recognized seller and then eventually a sales leader. We're going to talk about that on the episode. Hailing from the Pacific Northwest, we've got none other than, if you can connect the dots, Jason Bay's in the house. Jason, welcome to Reveal. What's up? That was that's the best intro I've ever gotten on a podcast. I'm like a little nervous now. <laughs> oh man, honestly, like there's a character in a movie, The Knight's Tale. I'm really dating myself. It's a Heath Ledger yeah. film, and R.I.P. Yeah. Heath. But Paul Bettany just is to me my like spirit animal as the hype yeah. guy. If I could just do <laughs> intro after intro after intro, like that would be an amazing job. 
Love it. Love it. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So, Jason, we know you as the founder and the CEO of the Outbound Squad. You've also got the eponymous Jason Bay Consulting. You've done amazing things for the likes of Seismic and Medallion Service Now and Splunk and all these great organizations. But you didn't start there. In fact, you worked for multiple years on CollegeWorks painting, both as sort of a seller yeah. and then a leader and then eventually a VP. I want to know. God, that sounds brutal. So spare no detail, the good, the bad, the ugly. Tell us about some war stories from there. But how has that experience of being Mm -hmm. on the front lines translated to you being one of the most well-respected sales trainers in the B2B space? Yeah. So 2008, I was a freshman in college, and it was just something I signed up for to make money, honestly. Because the summer before, I stacked wood on a cart for 60 hours a week. I worked at my my dad's mill. (laughs) Uh So I was like, I I don't want to do that again. That kind of sucks, you know? And someone came into my classroom and talked about, hey, run a business, house painting, et cetera, make $10,000 over the summer. And I was like, oh, that sounds you know kind of cool or whatever. And I didn't realize when I was going through the interview process, I didn't know what sales was. I didn't really know anyone that did sales growing up. I didn't yeah. really know very many parents that ran businesses even. So when they said run a house painting business, I just assumed, yeah, we're going to get some painters and paint some houses, right? And that was in the fall. And when I started in the spring, what I would do is I would drive home three hours on the weekends and you go build your territory where you're going to be living over the summer. And that was where I realized, oh, wow, I got to go door to door. And I'm an introvert and I was much more introverted then. And the thought of that was like, it made me really anxious. Let's Uh put it that way. (laughs) And the biggest thing that I was anxious about was not necessarily the rejection. It was more like, it just felt kind of weird and sleazy to me to go door to door and talk with people. And Barry, my, he, he became one of my best friends and he was my sales manager. He took me out and I just rode shotgun with him. And he's like, let me show you like how this is done. And the biggest thing that stuck out to me was I saw him get rejected hard to his face and it just didn't really seem to face him. And for some reason there, it made it click for me that rejection is not like, they're not rejecting you as an individual. They're just, they just don't want their house painted, dude. (laughs) Or they see some kid wide braces at the time. They just don't want to talk to you. They didn't ask you to come to their door and you're kind of interrupting them. And long story short, I ended up doing really, really well that year. So I, uh, it was a hundred thousand dollar business, which is about twice what the typical rep does. I made like almost $30,000 for school. And I was kind of hooked on sales at that point. That part came pretty naturally to me. What didn't come very natural was being a sales leader. That That was actually very hard. So teaching people to do what I did, building teams, uh, leading, you know, mid-level management was really hard. So yeah, that was, that was the experience in a nutshell. It really desensitized me to rejection where now I'm like, I help people cold call. I'm like, dude, cold calling is not a big deal. The worst thing that's going to happen is they hang up on the, f- the phone on you. You're not interrupting someone's dinner. <laughs> you know? Well, I think about you go from being this kid who's wet behind his ears. He's got braces. Yeah. He's watching Barry and thinking, oh, God, like, how does Barry even respond? How does he get back out in yeah. the world after that door was slammed in his face? And now you are running a wildly successful sales training consultancy, and you're still probably having to cold call and take rejection. There's a lot of experience 
in between those two bookends. So yeah. I'd love for us to tie this and stitch this together with lessons from either that first summer where you made 30 grand through matriculating into becoming a sales leader to now some of the things that govern and shape even how you prospect into organizations to sell Jason Bay's secret sauce. Yeah, I think the the biggest learning curve I went through was, you know, cuz this was a B2C construction company, right? They're a $35 million construction company and I did that through college and then I became their marketing director when I left college. I'd actually dropped out of college. And they're like, hey, you can't go. You did all this creative marketing to get these leads outside of door to door. So like flyers and newspaper advertising was popular at the time and all this other stuff. And as a marketing director, what I did there that was really interesting was I built an outbound call center. So again, I'm a kid. I'm 22 years old. Didn't have braces anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And they didn't have a formal marketing department. They were just like, hey, we think that these hundreds of thousands of people that sign up every year to get their house painted, we only paint about 10% of them. What if we start calling through that database and cold calling into neighborhoods and getting lists and all this other kind of stuff? That would be a great idea. We think that would be really fruitful. Where I didn't even know what a dialer was. I didn't know what kind of software we would need for that. I never hired for that job. Um, and I ended up building a call center with you know, 20, 25, 30 people and then like a manager in there. And I did this all from scratch. And I got that startup experience inside of the company. And that helped me build the chops of like inside sales team, how to manage a group of people doing a job that's very similar to what an SDR does, much harder, in my opinion, because you're cold calling people that you can't research. Yeah, It's a literal cold call. And then when I left the company in about 2013, that was another period of growth I went through where if I want to start a consultancy, I had to prospect and learn how the B2B sales game works. And people like to think that they're much different from each other than they actually are. They're they're mostly the same outside of large, complex enterprise or strat selling. That's that's a unique beast all of uh, in uh, all of in itself. But every at the end of the day, you're still selling to an individual. There might be multiple individuals that need to have consensus around a sale. But you still got to win people over. You still got to prospect. You still got to deal with rejection, all of that kind of stuff. And the way that we got into Outbound Squad was I found a really sweet niche in software mm-hmm. where in software, it's an industry where they do believe in training and coaching reps. I mean, Gong, their tool, it's it's built to support that function, right? To enable your reps. That doesn't really exist in a lot of other industries. <laughs> So that was where we really leaned into software was, hey, there's a lot of people doing outbound is what we focused on first that you aren't really that good at it. And then once we started working with more account executives and self-sourcing, that led into, hey, let's start helping with discovery and what to do with that first meeting. Let's talk about multi-threading, how to get more stakeholders involved in our deals so we can increase win rates. How do we run an effective demo? How do we negotiate? So we sort of help with the full cycle sales motion for the most part outbound through negotiation when you discovered within software okay there's an acceptance and an appetite for enablement and training like all right that is the flag that we're going to plant as the outbound squad there's also just a gold rush going on where so many people are getting into enablement or they're relying on large existing incumbent enablement providers. I'm thinking about the likes of Challenger or Sandler or Richardson or Corporate Visions, Mm -hmm. people who are big medic fans from John McMahon. So here you are coming in 
as this young, scrappy, industrious entrepreneur who's got the chops to start something. But I'm curious, how do you, when there's so much noise in this space, even within the niche that is outbound, Mm -hmm. how do you differentiate yourself? Do you ground yourself in, hey, like, you know, I I kicked ass at this painting (laughs) gig in college. So take it from me, college painting sales guy extraordinaire. Do you rely on other data sources, psychology, science? Walk us through sort of how you've cultivated what has been now established as a battle-tested formula. Yeah. When we started Outbound Squad, it was called Blissful Prospecting. And what we did the first two or three years was done for you outbound. So we were essentially an outsource SDR. Okay. So I had to build, and I was doing it two or three years prior to that. So I spent five years just on the chopping block, writing sequences for folks, making cold calls, which I already had a ton of experience doing that, but B2B cold calling and prospecting. So just being really good at doing the activity myself was a big part of getting into outbound. The question you ask is an interesting one around differentiation, because I think it's a good one for reps, if you're listening to think about, is what is the problem that you solve and how do you do it in a unique way? Because this is what you need to be thinking about through the entire sales process, because you can shape that narrative. What I find large companies, training companies tend to do is as they grow the content tends to get a little watered down. So in other words, what they realize is in in order to achieve massive scale, you cannot customize as much. It's impossible. So with training, I won't talk to any specific folks, (laughs) but with training, what you run into is a situation where you hire a trainer who comes in for your SKO And they don't even really have an understanding of what you sell, who you sell to, the problems that you solve. They don't customize the content. Mm -hmm. And that's the equivalent of having it. Could you imagine if Gong's enablement team didn't customize the content and it was like general tactics and strategy? It would defeat the whole purpose of having internal enablement. So as a trainer, the way that I really differentiate is, hey, who's the person that's going to be doing this? And to what level do they customize it? Yeah. So customization is really big. Um, the other thing, so Rain Group's got some really interesting data around this. They, they studied a bunch of organizations and, and looked at, hey, when we train people, how long does that stick? And sales training, 85 to 90% of it is no longer effective after 90 days. And Gartner's got another stat that reps forget something like 80 plus percent of what they learn in the first 30 days of learning it. So reinforcement is really the name of the game. It's not what you teach. It's how do you enable frontline leaders to then reinforce it? That's where the magic is. So that's another area that I really focus on is, hey, let's not spend your entire training budget on the reps. What are we doing for the frontline leaders? Because they're going to be around longer typically Mm -hmm. in seat. And what are they doing to reinforce coach and make sure that this stuff is actually happening? And do they have the chops to do it themselves? So reinforcement's really big too. How did I figure all this stuff out? I just started working with companies. And when you come from outside of an industry, the stuff that is happening in the industry is really obvious because you're not ingrained in it. I didn't come from SaaS. I've been working in SaaS for a long time, but I didn't originally come from this. I'm honestly, Danny, applying a lot of what I learned at 19 years old, going door to door. And then what I learned as a 20, 20, 21, 22 year old being a sales leader like they had really good sales training at that company. I still use a lot of that stuff and I impart these lessons yeah. to sales leaders. Something like, you know, rubbing shoulders, getting in the pit, that concept of if you want your reps to do outbound, get in the pit with them every once in a while and do it with them. Like that's something I learned at 19 years old. 
And I see sales leaders not doing that in these large, well-established SaaS companies. It's just implementing the basic fundamentals is really what people need right now. But differentiation is, it's all about reinforcement and customization of content. You absolutely need to have those things in an effective enablement program. I'm hearing you talk about, you know, are you as a leader going to do the basic fundamentals, like actually pick up the phone and do the outbound prospecting with your people? That's not rocket science. No. And I think that, <laughs> oh my God, Jason Bay comes in, he's got the silver bullet or he's going to plug me into the matrix. And just like Neo, when I come out of his training, I'm going to know Kung Fu because there is this magical potion or panacea that Jason has cracked in. If I'm hearing you correctly, the concepts like customization or multi-threading or getting to yeah. power. I don't think that like Jason Bay Consulting can claim, ah, that's a Jason Bay concept or that anyone for that matter is the original thinker uh, or the <laughs> – what's the word I'm looking for? The author of those tactics. They are sort of yeah. universal isms that hold true throughout the entire time continuum of sales. But really what you're describing is maybe almost providing some degree of simplicity – in a world and a profession that is oftentimes inundated with complexity. And what you're yep. able to do is say, Hey, like I'm not maybe going to tell you something that's earth shattering or rocket science, but I am going to remind you of these fundamentals that do need to be reinforced, such as again, getting to power or multi-threading. Is that a yep. fair synopsis? Absolutely. I mean, look at, look at what Gong is doing right now. Like if we kind of step back, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're on the inside of Gong, obviously, but from an outside perspective, what I see is, hey, there's a trend going on where there's too many tools in the tech stack right now, and consolidation is the name of the game. How can we do more things within our tools so that the data is yeah. connected and all the intelligence we gather through conversations and rev intelligence is in the same place where our sales engagement platform is? That'd be pretty cool, right? Adaption would really increase and we would get more value from this. So when you start to think about consolidation and getting everything in one place and simplifying what a rep has to do. The only thing getting in the way at that point of uh, a rep's journey is soft skills. And the best analogy I could think of is, you know, <laughs> to be in good shape and to be healthy and to live long. These are like proven principles that have been around for a very long time. We've known that smoking cigarettes is bad for your cardiovascular health which is the number one killer outside of like car accidents, I think, or something like that, right? Um, we know all of these things. We know that we should exercise and lift weights and do some cardio, but what's the difference in the people that consistently do this versus the people that don't? Removing complexity is a really big part of that. Let's boil this down to the basics. This three-part formula, I think is really good. I got it from Peter Atia, talks about it a lot. He didn't come up with this, but this concept of objective strategy tactics is a really interesting one. And I think with sales training specifically, what we tend to do, enablement is guilty of this, is we just go straight tactics. Yeah. Let's take multi-threading for an example. Hey, uh, when you get someone on a call and you want to get their boss looped in, here's a talk track. Use this. Say these exact words. And they rely so much on the tactic, they don't talk about the strategy yeah. driving that tactic. So if we want to get really tactical here with like multi-threading, the strategy is let's actually kind of step back and think what we're trying to accomplish with multi-threading. Let's, let's actually start all the way with the objective. If we start with the why, why does it make sense to multi-thread? Well, the more people that we have involved in a deal, Gong's got data on this, 
you know, the second call of closed one deals has like twice as many stakeholders on it as a closed loss deal. 25% increase in win rates, according to user gems, if we multi-thread and invite more stakeholders. So it's, it's about getting more of the right people and gaining consensus. A really great strategy with that is when we're speaking with the individual, let's sell the outcome instead of selling the deal. So in other words, when we're having the conversation around who else should be involved, if we say things like, hey, Danny, who else would feel left out if we didn't invite them on the next call? Or, hey, Danny, um, you know, we're not going to have a chance in hell of getting this to the finish line unless we get your boss involved. That is a conversation stopper. That doesn't, that doesn't get the prospect to lean in. But if we say, hey, Danny, um, I'm really curious. You know, we've, we've worked with companies like Gong, your Medallia, Zooms, et cetera. Do you mind if I share how they were able to get a really good outcome from the training? Because self-sourcing for your AEs is really important. We're able to help them self-source 30 plus percent of pipe. Do you want me to share a little bit more? And anytime I ask that question, the answer is always yes. Um, hey, one of the, thing that, the things that was really important is that in order for the training to get a really good outcome, we actually need consensus from the enablement team. So you as a sales leader, they are in charge of content and the reinforcement. I think we should get a couple of your frontline leaders involved too, because they're going to have a lot of influence over what your reps use. And at some point, not now, we're going to need to loop in your VP of sales and CRO, so-and-so and so-and-so. So as the next step, what I would suggest, what do you think about getting your head of enablement and a couple of your frontline leaders on a call? And we talk about the content and make sure people like the content. Does that sound like a good next step? So what I've done there is I've talked about the strategy, again, is not my talk track there. I gave you an example. The strategy is, let's get the buyer to understand that the outcome of the solution will be better if they involve more of their peers. Because according to McKinsey, it's seven out of every 10 uh, transformation initiatives fail. So that means seven out of 10 times when someone implements a software to create change management within their company, like that change management initiative fails. So buyers care a lot about de-risking deals. So multi-thread to de-risk the deal, not to sell the deal. Yeah. So that's an example of what I'm talking about, where you can step back and think about that framework. And we talked about it through the context of multi-threading, but not being so tactical all the time, stepping back and being like, what's the strategy driving these tactics? And ultimately, what's our objective? Words are important. We heard that from Jason, particularly the way in which words make the recipient feel can have a huge swing on how the message lands or flops. The way we communicate verbally can have a profound impact on the effectiveness of the message, as well as the overall quality of the interactions that we have with others. This is supported by a 2022 study done by UCLA, which found that people are more likely to be persuaded by arguments framed in a logical, structured way, as opposed to those alternatives that rely on emotion and, dare I say, manipulation. Words, however, are not enough by themselves. A strong tone might incite hatred or resentment, whereas a delicate or meek tone can show a little bit of brittle weakness. It's all about finding that finesse to convey your understanding. And all these pieces of communication style and approach, well, they can obviously translate well into the world of business. Let's get back to Jason and hear a little bit more about how he perfectly strikes this balance. When you talk about stepping back, rather than just being the what or the how in tactical terms, you're really illuminating more of the why. So yeah. getting people to see the forest through the trees. And I think that that is a 
incredibly compelling. I mean, Simon Sinek talks about, again, the golden circle of why and Apple being a textbook example of people buy because they understand why Apple does what it does, not what it is that they do or how they build it. I want to challenge you, not because I dispute that theory, but we have so many sellers who are just so busy. We have so many frontline leaders who are exhausted and juggling too many things. We're like, I don't even have the luxury or the latitude of having a spare modicum of mindshare to appreciate the why. Just tell me yeah. what the hell I need to say and I'll execute. So you have this mindset or you have this persona in both ICs and leaders like, just spit it out. What's the silver bullet? And I'm not saying that that's how we should train, but how do you actually then get people who you're selling into and say, that's actually a flawed approach. And if that's what you're looking for, I'm the wrong guy. How do you combat that type of desire where they just want, Jason, give me the antidote. Give me the silver bullet. Yeah. I mean, this is a really good selling tactic, but is to tell people that there's a couple different ways. One, I say, hey, I'm not a good fit for you. If you're looking for someone to rattle off 50 cookie cutter cold call intros that you guys can start, I'm just not the guy. And from what I found with companies like X, Y, and Z, I tell a customer story, that wasn't how we had created effective change. Yeah. So if it were just tactics, your reps, they wouldn't need my help. You just look at a LinkedIn post and everyone implements it. My guess is that, that that's not happening. What you want your reps to do right now, they're not doing on a regular basis, or otherwise we wouldn't be talking. So I have that conversation. The other thing is you do love these all at once. And you used, instead of objective strategy tactics, you use why, what, how. I love that. Like it's a format, the number four MAT, it's a... Uh, it's a learning framework that they, I think, originated in Australia, but it's what they used to teach curriculum in higher ed. Mm -hmm. Why, what, and how? I think the confusion people have around this is that sharing the how takes an hour and then you share the what and why in a separate session. No, you do that all at once. <laughs> so um, the why is what gets people bought in. Yeah. The way that you can get reps or leaders really hooked on the why is to be provocative. And this is, I think, a very big opportunity for sales leaders. No knock on, on some of the senior sales leaders out there, but a lot of them are not very good at presenting. Mm -hmm. They're not very good at getting in front of a big group of hundreds of their reps and sharing a really compelling story. So the why, the best way to get people bought in is to be very provocative and to have data to back up your claim. So for example, uh, if I was looking at multi-threading, the number one complaint or challenge that a rep has, what do you think it is actually, Danny? What do you think the number one challenge is when I start talking about get, get more people involved, get to power? What do you think reps say? I get denied. I get shut down whenever I ask to bring in their boss or their boss's boss. They say no. Yeah, they say no. And then you hear the opposite also where it's like, I don't want to go above my champion's head. I don't want to alienate them. So I already know what the opposition is. The why... If you can be really provocative and it's a different take on what people feel and you can speak to what their challenge is, it's really powerful. So like when I talk about multi-threading, I say, um, hey, one of the, the big myths with multi-threading, the biggest mistakes rep make is thinking they have to ask for permission. They're too afraid to go over their champion's head and they end up being single-threaded on deals, which 78% of reps, according to LinkedIn, are single-threaded on deals and they're win rates could be 25% higher if they weren't. Now I've got people's attention. They're like, wait, you don't need to ask for permission? 
Okay, so let's talk about what our goal is on multi-threading, because our goal is not just to get a bunch of people in so that we close the deal faster. It's to de-risk the deal for the buyer. Yeah. We can use this as a way to make it less risky for them to buy our solution. Let's talk about why it's so risky, and I already gave those stats. Yeah. So I think with the why, I just did that in 30 seconds, 60 seconds. It doesn't need to be this long, drawn-out thing, but if you don't explain why you're doing something, it will not stick. It will not. If people don't understand why, it will not stick. I love that example of reframing why we're multi-threading to de-risk it for the sake of the buyer and to totally <laughs> redefine what is so purposeful about involving their boss as opposed to undermining them. I want to go back a step and you had talked about there's a lot of senior sales leaders out there that aren't compelling because they can't weave together a sticky or a riveting or an inspiring story. They're just a little flat, which speaks to this competency of being theatrical, of being not disingenuously performative, but in having the ability to articulate in maybe this more animated way that captivates you. I'm wondering what your thoughts are in whether it's sales leadership or even being an IC, when you are doing outbound work, regardless of your role, is that a competency that we should actually start investing in to train people how they modulate their voice, their intonation, their mannerisms, and how animated or unanimated they are? Talk to us about that. It's a good point. It's it's the same stuff that someone that's an actor, that the type of voice training that they do, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's less about the inflection and modulation and more about what is the actual story. Mm-hmm. It is storytelling from a content perspective and less a delivery perspective. I think, and I say that because I think the delivery is harder to teach. (laughs) I think the delivery is like the two and 300 level version of this. Yeah. I think the 100 level is this. If you're a sales leader, what will make you more grounded and more likable? I can think of a specific VP of sales, Brian, that I've spent a lot of time working with and his reps loved and respected him. I could tell because when we get on group calls and there's hundreds of reps in there, he's cracking jokes with people. Yeah. People aren't afraid of him and they listen to him. There's two things. One, he participated as a VP of sales in an organization with 350 A's. He was there at the training calls participating in the breakout rooms. So he's role-playing cold calls, writing emails. He is really in tune with what the rep does on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really hard for you to get in front of your group and tell an inspiring story when you're not in tune with what their day-to-day looks like. You got to sit in the seat of your reps. That's one thing he did really well that stuck out to me, and I've learned a lot from him. Uh, The other one is, for some reason, when we get into leadership, we treat it like it's a different thing than what a seller does. Mm -hmm. And sellers, what, what we tell them, I mean, you guys are so big on this at Gong, customer story. What's the story? How are you weaving the customer story into your discovery (laughs) and your demos? Well, as a sales leader, it's the same thing. If you're about to make a point, it's much more powerful to say, you know, you guys, I want to tell you a little story about Danny. Danny was really struggling with his deals and he was getting single threaded, too afraid to go over the champion's head and was just getting stuck. And, And one of the things that he worked on was XYZ, doing this, doing that, doing this. And his win rates, I'll show you the stats here. They're, they're up by 10%. He just closed a large deal, 150K last week. And like being able to tell that story, that's so much more powerful than you coming in as a leader and saying, you got to do this. Mm -hmm. You got to do that. Here's what we're doing. So I think that ability 
as a senior enablement or sales leader to get up in front of the room and really deliver a good why behind what your enablement team is about to deliver around the strategy and tactics that your sales team is going to be executing, I think it's highly underrated. So I'm thinking about one of the last questions I want to ask you before we then wrap up this episode, Jason, and that is this, you know, you have the luxury and the vantage point of looking at lots of B2B companies, particularly in the SaaS space, as you take stock of everyone's proficiency and fluency and conditioning in the outbound motion. Are you seeing any trends that tell us, oh my God, this is where everyone needs to going into the next sales year because we're now in November. This is where people really need to double down their enablement efforts or this is where they need to refocus. So for listeners out there who are in that SDR, that BDR, that ISR space, and for those sales leaders, hey, like this is a, a normalized pervasive problem, but nonetheless, because it's a problem, we got to go tackle it. Yeah, it's a good question. We're... The state of our profession right now is that prospects are becoming immune to like cold outreach. Yeah. The average pickup rate on the phone is about 5%, according to Connect and Sell. The average success rate, according to Gong, is 1.48%. Cold email reply rates, 1%, according to Clear. I mean, it's just atrocious out there. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you got to think about from an enablement perspective is, I think, two parts. One, you can't rely on SDRs and marketing to fill the pipeline of an account executive. That's been exposed this year. So self-sourcing for account executives has got to be one of your top priorities. So unless you're just getting tons of inbound, your account executives are rusty. They haven't had to do it. Maybe there isn't even been an expectation that they should do it. That's number one. I'm helping a lot of customers with that right now. Okay. Uh, Number two is where are things a little less saturated? And again, with email and phone, it's very saturated. The success rate's very low right now. I'm not saying you shouldn't do those and that they don't work. It's let's make sure we have a good LinkedIn strategy too. If if your prospects are spending time on LinkedIn, it's the one place where when I send a connect request, I have 100% certainty that they'll at least get it. They may not accept it, but they will at least get it. Because I think doubling down on the basics that we know of Hey, when we use three channels, when we use multi-channel, like our contact rates go up by two to three X, like you got to use all the channels. And are we reaching out to people enough? Do our reps have proficiency in the soft skills to write those messages, to make those calls? Lastly, what I would say is the phones. The phone is still the most effective prospecting channel. It's just harder to get in that bat. So what I would be thinking about is how can we leverage some of the dialers you know, out there that can get more at bats for our reps. And how do we make sure that our reps are world-class in the phones because they're having fewer opportunities than at bats. And, you know, we can't have a one out of every 20 calls that we connect turning into a meeting. It's got to be one out of every three or four. So really sharpening those phone skills. It's it's getting back to basics, Danny, really is, is what it is. It's AE self-sourcing. Yeah. It's let's make sure social is a part of our strategy and let's make sure that our reps are really proficient on the phones. I like it. Well, it's a nice sort of full circle moment coming back to simplicity. None of this is rocket science, but it is taking what are these various signals, frequencies, distractions that we're bombarded with and try to, I don't know, either put not the blinders on, but some of the blockers that distract us from those core fundamentals that we know have worked for decades. Well, as we wrap up the episode, for solidarity's sake, we ask all of our guests on Reveal Jason the same concluding question, which is this. If you could describe sales 
in just one word, what would it be? Hard. <laughs> Care to elaborate? Yeah, sales is one of the hardest jobs out there, yeah. but I think because it's hard, it makes it very rewarding. Um, dude, sales is one of the few jobs besides working for the government where if you're smart with your money, you could retire easily in 20 years mm -hmm. off a sales career. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's very hard. I think this is one of the most difficult professions out there because there's so much uncertainty. Mm -hmm. It's the next closest thing to doing what I do, running a business. So that uncertainty, if you can figure out how to deal with that and how to have boundaries <laughs> with your boss and your leadership, yeah, I don't take calls in the evenings. I'm not working deals on the weekends, you know, that kind of stuff. If you can figure out how to wait to do it, that is also mindful of your mental health. It's one of the most rewarding. It's the best career out there, but it's hard. That's I don't know, that's the first word. Is like it's so hard. This is such a tough job. I don't think people realize, especially people that don't do sales, how hard this job is. It it like just sucks. You know, sometimes, but I think that makes it one of the most rewarding careers out there too. Well, I appreciate that you're not sugarcoating anything and it is not a profession for the faint of heart. But if you do have that persistence and the tenacity, there is a path to achieving the success you want to retire early and then do other things. Or even should you continue a career in sales for the long term, while it is brutal at times, the juice is, as you said it, the juice is worth the squeeze. So Jason yeah. Bay, everybody, this has been a super insightful, super illuminating episode from the time of you starting as a braces, sparkly, smiley, 19-year-old selling paint to running a wildly respected sales training consultancy. On behalf of all of our listeners, Jason, thanks so much for the honesty and the wisdom. No, I appreciate it. This was fun, Danny. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performing sales teams, then head on over to gong.io. And if you like what you heard, well, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen.